So we're continuing on in our series in Colossians, and uh, we're in chapter 2 today, and Paul has been kind of encouraging the church. He's been uh, giving them some real encouragement because they're doing well, um, but he's also giving them some warnings, some things to look out for, and so we're kind of in that part of the letter right now. And so we're just going to get straight into it, and uh, Bible should be to the side. It's different at Guild Park, but to the side here. Uh, so if you have a Bible, brilliant, you're prepared. If you don't have a Bible because you don't have one, then you're in luck. We have some. And so please take this as your gift um, home with you if you don't have one. Um, so yes, we're in Colossians chapter 2 and we're in verse 6 to 15. So I'm going to read this. Let's all read this together. I think it should come. Ah, it's there. I was really proud. I actually did my own PowerPoint this week, so it's really good. I'm really encouraged. Anyways, simple things. So, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now when you were made dead in your sins, sorry, no, you weren't made dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has, the, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the richness of your word. And I thank you that um, you still choose to speak to us through it, that this is living, that this is breathing um, stuff. And God, I pray that this morning our hearts and our minds would be open to the truth of your word. And that not only would we be open to it, but we would be transformed by it. And that it would become our living daily walk with you. And so, Lord, we invite you here and we pray that your will will be done in this next part. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the reason I called this talk, Let's Go Walk About, actually, does anyone, can anyone do a good Australian accent? No, we'll just leave that then. Uh, I really wanted to hear it in an Australian accent, but I can't do it. Anyways, the reason I called it Let's Go Walkabout is because walkabout is an an Aboriginal tradition. It's something that when men, well, boys, kind of get to the age where they go into manhood, they go on this walkabout. And what it is, is they kind of go away from their family, they go away from their community, and they head out into the outback. And the point of this is so that they get to know their terrain, they get to know what's in the outback, they get to know kind of what, what's going on and how to kind of navigate it as well. And if anyone's seen pictures of the outback or has like seen films about it, <laughs> I don't know, um, then you'll know that it's absolutely huge, it's vast. But the point of them is that they have to go out, they have to get to know it, they have to become literally part of the outback. And that's part of their way of becoming a man, of, of going into that next season. 
And in the same way as Christians, we also have to have that walkabout with Jesus through scripture and through time spent with him and and through kind of being in his presence daily. We get to know who he is, what he has done and what we are for. And without spending time with him um, and in his presence day after day and year after year and season after season in the good and the bad, we can easily be distracted and we can easily be taken out from the path that God has destined for us. And so in this section of this letter, the Coloss- in uh, Paul's letter to the Colossian church, he gives them a clear path in how to make sure they do the long haul of being a Christian, how they make it to the end, doing it well. And also notice the language that he uses in the passage we just read. There's something that we have to do ourselves. It's something that it's an action that we have to put into practice. And so he has exalted Jesus Christ. He has praised Jesus Christ. And he's reminded them of the fullness of life that they may enjoy. But he's also showing them how to actually do that. He's showing them how to put that into practice. And I do love the fact that Paul doesn't just leave churches in limbo. Often he comes along with like big kind of uh, warnings and red warning signs and like, you really need to not do this. But instead of just kind of leaving them there, he shows them how to do that. He gives them the tools in which they, they can, can go forward in their walk with Jesus. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And the ESV version says, um, it uses the word walk, uh, to continue to walk in him. And walk is um, the present tense added English literature at uni, so I absolutely love all this sort of thing. So any English boss out there, you'll be like, mm-hmm. um, Anyways, uh, <laughs> walk is a frequent word that is used in uh, scripture for our journey with God, for our life with God. And walking isn't very impressive. You think, well, especially if I'm walking, it's not very impressive. It's not as good as running or flying or doing any other things. But walking is a, a deliberate direction. It's a steady pace. It's a step-by-step effort. And we are to walk in the fullness of what Jesus has for us. And Paul likes his metaphors. If we read any of Paul's letters, he does like a good metaphor. And often he mixes them up, which is great for us when we're trying to understand what he's talking about. But he uses a couple of metaphors that we want to have a look at this morning. And that is to be rooted like a tree or a plant, to be built up like a building, and to be... um, strengthened and established. So we're going to look at those three things and see what God has to say to us for, through them. So, to walk with him, we are rooted. Now, when you think of a tree or of a plant, I'm sure most of you often think of trees or plants, but um, when you think of a tree or a plant, um, you often can't see any or all of its roots. They go deep under the ground, they go into the soil, uh, so they can get the nutrients, that they can grow, and that they can be healthy. Um, And roots are the main reason a plant survives, pretty much. Um, And it keeps them growing. It keeps them getting uh, kind of blasted by storms. It keeps them going in times of drought. keeps them going when animals or insects try and attack it. The roots are what kind of keep a plant going. And this is exactly the same for us as Christians. We need to be rooted down so that we can continue to grow and to continue to be sustained in times of storm and in times of drought. 
And the context to which Paul, context is really key when we're reading, especially some of this stuff which gets quite quite nitty-gritty. The context in which Paul is writing the letter to the Colossian church is that although they're doing really well, they're stepping out, they're seeing people come to faith, they are at real risk of false teaching. And so Paul is clear that the Colossian people need to stay close to the scriptures, to not add or to take anything away from it. And he wants to highlight that when we genuinely trust in Jesus, God roots us in him. But we need to continually sink our roots down in him. And I feel like this is something for us in this season of church. We're seeing lots of really exciting things, aren't we? We're seeing like people come to faith. We're seeing the church grow. And this is great. But I feel like God need, is saying that sometimes we need to go back to the basics. And sometimes we need to be reminded that we have to be rooted in order to see more of this to come. And for this, for us, this is the hidden part of our walk with Jesus that others don't see. We often talk about the iceberg, don't we, in relation to our Christian walk. The top bit is what people see, and the bottom bit is what is hidden and underneath. And that is the bit that is really important. And if that isn't there, we're stuffed, pretty much. (laughs) And Chuck was saying this as well recently in his Nehemiah um, series. Nehemiah's whole story, a lot of it was done in the hidden. And we wouldn't know half of what happened in Nehemiah if he hadn't told us because he had been doing it with God, just him and God. It's really important that we um, build our relationship in the hidden moments, that in order to stick out with what we're called to do, our knowledge and our experience of God needs to run a lot deeper than the surface level stuff. And uh, part of our purpose in life is to have a relationship with God and to point others to God. There's a lot more to the purpose, but two parts of our purpose is to know God and to point others to God. And if we aren't rooted in who God is, and get to know his true nature, then it can be really easy to forget our purpose. It can be really easy to forget, why do we turn up to small group? Or why do I turn up to church on a Sunday? Or why do I not choose to have that glass of wine when I'm out with friends? Or, hang on, why do I actually choose to pray for someone when they're really struggling? In the latter part of our passage, Paul isn't stating the obvious, because... um, the Colossian church haven't heard it. He's writing of who Jesus is so that it would be crystal clear and that they don't deviate from who he is and what he's done. And in remembering our purpose, it's like, it's like athletes. Athletes, um, they train, they sacrifice lifestyle, they sacrifice time with friends and family, they sacrifice eating. <laughs> um, well, not all eating, but just like the good stuff. <laughs> Anyways, and... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure they get to eat some stuff. But anyways, uh, they sacrifice a lot of stuff. And their purpose isn't to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated or to be on the cover of Vogue or to be on flashy interviews. Their purpose is to win competitions. And if they get distracted with everything that's going on around them, they fail to meet their purpose. And that is just like us in uh, our Christian walk. If we take our eyes off the purpose then we can quite easily get lost. We can quite easily get distracted. And in chapter 1 of Colossians, Paul says, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. And if part of our purpose as Christians is to exalt, is to praise, is to preach the name of Jesus, then we have to know that name that we are praising. 
If our part of our purpose is to share the good news of Jesus and to point others to him, then people need to see us being transformed by Jesus. People need to see us spending time with him in order that they can be pointed to him. We must therefore pursue our relationship with him in order that we would fulfill our purpose. And Paul is reminding the Colossian church and everyone who reads the letter of who Jesus is from verse 9 to 15. If that could just be put back on the screen, that would be really great, just so you know I'm not making anything up. So when we feel like, or when people tell us that Jesus won't understand, or he can't connect with us, he won't understand what you're going through, Paul says, Jesus was fully man and was fully God. And so the man that walked this earth was also fully God. And so when we are going through really difficult things, Jesus understands because he's walked in our shoes. God understands because he's walked in our shoes. And when we feel like our people tell us that Jesus isn't powerful enough in our situation or in their situation, Paul tells us Jesus is is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is sovereign over all. And over all the principalities and over all the authorities, he disarmed them on the cross. And when we wonder, does God really love us? Is God good? Paul tells us Jesus cancelled our legal debt by his sacrifice on the cross. Nothing else can be done. And when we wonder, is all our sin dealt with? Can we actually step out into the calling that we feel that we've uh, got from God? Paul tells us again, Jesus is alive in us, and through him we are no longer dead to our sins. How amazing is that? You see, when we spend time in the word, in his presence, we become more and more rooted in him. When storms and droughts come to knock us down and come to take us out of the race, they won't be able to because we are firmly planted in him. When we have those questions, we have the answers because we are firmly planted in him. And so my question is for all of us, including me, what does that look like for us today? Can we say that we are rooting ourselves in him? The beauty of being rooted in Jesus is that he never fails to feed, to grow, or to develop us. But if we are being honest this morning, are we letting him? Are we allowing ourselves to be rooted so that we are growing in our purpose in and through him? And so as we continue on in Paul's love of metaphors we come to the next encouragement to walk with him we are built up so the original word word that Paul uses um, is the same word that is used in the context of like construction like building uh, something and uh, the connotations are there's a foundation in place and then stuff is being built up from that and so for us our foundation is Jesus and something is being built up from there And again, for the English literature boffs, this is a a kind of a a continuous tense. So this is something that continuously happens. It's a steady movement towards completion. So who likes grand designs? Ooh, quite a few, actually. Hmm. Um, When I was a lot younger, I begrudgingly watched it with my mum. It was one of those programmes that she just had on repeat. Uh, Unfortunately, some channels are actually dedicated to the show. Um, And anyway, so I had to watch that with my mum. And I just couldn't stand Kevin MacLeod. For some reason, he annoyed the living daylights out of me. Um, And also, I didn't understand why people would spend literally thousands of pounds on ridiculous stuff like taps. And toilet seats. Who on earth needs a toilet seat worth a thousand pounds? Like, I don't know. 
I was, I was going to go somewhere with that, but I'm going to rein that in. But anyways, it is ridiculous. Like, some of this stuff is ridiculous. However, more recently, I've matured, and uh, <laughs> I've learned to enjoy grand designs, like a fine wine or a good whiskey. I've, <laughs> I've, I've learned to appreciate the hard work that goes into these projects, and Kevin McLeod doesn't annoy me as much. However, the two things that I've really noticed in grand designs is that one, quite often, the builders either never show up or are constantly on tea breaks. Now, that might just be a British problem. However, I'm not tarring all builders with that same brush. It just seems to be on this program. And then also, um, the people who do their building, that do their home with people and uh, with professionals around them, tend to be a lot more successful than those who try to do it on their own. The ones who try to do it on their own tend to have a nervous breakdown at some point in the show. <laughs> now, <laughs> the link, and I'm sure the point that you're kind of wondering, what on earth is she talking about? Why is she talking about grand designs? The point is, in our lives, sometimes it feels like the builders have either not shown up or the builders have taken a tea break. And sometimes we choose to do life in solitude rather than in relationship. When we look at some of the people that have gone before us in the Bible, we see a pattern emerging of A, people allowing God to work on them and putting that into practice themselves, and B, doing life and being built up in relationship with other people. And we've seen that in Exodus, haven't we, as we've just been journeying um, with Moses, not literally, but you know, by <laughs> the, the sermon series that we've been doing. And Moses has let God transform him. He's let him build him up from a man who literally had no faith at the burning bush to a man that pioneered faith for the Israelites, to a man who was known for his steadfast faith. Moses let God build him up, and he did some of that himself as well. He put some of the stuff that God was teaching him into practice. But also, Moses did that in relationship we see how he, he relies and trusts on Aaron and on Miriam. We see how Jethro, his father-in-law, helps and builds him up in leadership. And we also see him at the Battle of Amalekites, having Aaron and her on either side of him, raising him up, building him up in prayer. Moses did what he did because he chose to have people around him. He let God build him up, and he did that in relationship with other people. And right throughout scripture, we are told to be built up and to build others up too. In Ecclesiastes 4, it says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And in Romans 14, it says, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. And again in Hebrews 10, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Time and time again, if you search building up in the scriptures, there's loads and loads of passages, that's just a few. This is something that not just Paul is saying, but all across scripture the writers are saying, be built up and build one another up. Now, if you've watched um, a building under construction, sometimes the progress is evident. The frame goes up, the roof goes on. It's quite clear to the eye. Other times you're thinking, what on earth are they doing? Like, are they doing anything in that building? But often they're working on things inside. They're working on things that can't be seen, like the wiring or the plumbing. But they are essential to the finished work of the building, working effectively and working properly. 
And when we walk with Jesus, sometimes there are obvious changes that others can easily see. But more often, Jesus is steadily at work on areas that aren't as dramatic, but are just as necessary. We learn to trust and obey him on daily matters, little things. We judge our grumbling spirit. Maybe it's the things that we complain about, the things that we're always mumbling about. We put to death the things that get in the way of us stepping out in our giftings and calls and in the the call that God has got in our lives. We speak kindly to others, even when they're not so kind to us. (laughs) But we're gradually being built up day after day in the small things and in the big things, the seen things and in the hidden things. But we need to do this in community. When Paul was writing to the Colossian church, he was doing just that. He was writing to the church, not just an individual. And so this is a corporate response as well as an individual response. The church is not a one-man show, but it is a family. And in order that we continue to be built up in Jesus, we need to be in relationship with him and we need to be in relationship with each other. So what does that look like for each of us? Are we in season where the builders haven't shown up for a while or they're constantly having cups of tea? Do we need to invite God in to resume the work on our lives? And have we chosen to be built up in solitude or have we chosen to be built up with others around us, speaking into our lives, encouraging us and building us up with Jesus? And if for some people this morning they might be thinking, you might be new in the door and you're thinking, I would love that, or I'm new to Aberdeen, I don't have many close friends around me, please speak to Scott and Sarah at the end, or speak to Ross and Laura there at the back, they're our small group mentors for, um, for St. Macca. They would love to get you in a small group, they would love to get you in accountability with people, but please don't leave this room if you haven't got people around you, because this is important stuff. It's important that we do this as a community as well as individually. And so finally, to walk with him, we are strengthened and established. Has anyone heard of the Japanese uh, um, kintsugi jars? Kintsugi jars. (laughs) People are like, "Uh, no. (laughs) I've got one person at the back who's like, yes. He might just be trying to encourage me. However, (laughs) I will explain what kintsugi jars are. What it is exciting, yeah. It is. Anyways, um, kintsugi jars are pieces of pottery that have been broken and that they're put back together. And uh, the Japanese craftsmen, uh, they get these pieces of broken pottery and they, I don't know how they hold them, but they do something. And then they fill um, the cracks with molten gold or pr- molten precious metal. And so at the end of the process, you've got this precious piece of pottery that was once broken and is now completely whole again, and is even more beautiful in its brokenness because you've got this precious metal running right through it. I know, like, I think at some point I'm going to try and invest... I think they're quite expensive, so I'm going to try and invest in one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just nodding to Chris at some point, just to remind me that that is so much like what God is in our lives. Like the jar, God takes each of us who are broken in various different ways... And as we receive Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, he dwells in us, becoming our strength, our beauty, and the one that holds us together. Paul is encouraging us to be strengthened in our faith, to be established in God's word, and that is Jesus in us. Now, before I came to university, I was a swimmer, uh, not just like 
kind of granny stroke, like I actually swam. And uh, you probably can't tell that now, it's like stuck in. Anyways, um, so I used to swim and when we would get ready for national competitions, we had to like do drill after drill after drill in the swimming pool. Like I was one of those kids kids yeah teens who had more swimming costumes and clothes it was a little bit embarrassing but anyways and so we had to do that in order to get competition ready we had to find our technique and we had to like really really fine-tune it get the minute details and make sure that they were established in our stroke and so one of my races was short distance butterfly and for any of you who know what butterfly is I'm not going to demonstrate it now but um, it's really important to get your technique right in order to get the gold so the difference between the gold and the silver is making sure that your technique is right and with butterfly it's kind of a technique that just you just need to learn it like it's just straight across the board there's some stuff that you can like kind of twinkle about with and make for the individual but the reality is the technique kind of goes straight across the board and you've just got to learn it and you've just got to execute it well in order to succeed and hopefully in an order to win the gold medal and that is the same for us in our walk with God. Paul is telling the Colossian church to be strengthened and established because it's the context of the fact that there are loads of false teachers coming in to try and like remove uh, the kind of Christians from the walk that they're on. And he's saying you need to listen and you need to learn good and legitimate doctrine. Basically, they need to be learning God's word without adding anything to it or taking anything away from it. They need to learn the technique and they need to execute it well. They can't have any faff around of it. They need to learn the good stuff. And so different uh, translations uh, use different words, but the main two used in this context are strengthened and established. The word established was sometimes used as a legal term meaning, and so that is um, to confirm, to guarantee, or to to make irrevocable. And here, Paul may be looking at the growth of the insurance, that as we gain knowledge and understand the truth of God's word, we also um, are confirmed in it, we're guaranteed in it, we're made irrevocable in it. And... um, we learn the guaranteed promises that God has given to us in Christ. Our growing knowledge of the sound doctrine of the good stuff protects us against the many winds of false teaching that seeks to blow us and the Colossian church off course. And to go on with Christ, we must make a deliberate effort to be established in our faith. And these are the themes um, that are not only in this particular part of the passage, but also in verse 8 and verse 15. And they really stuck out to me because they highlighted, A, the reality of the battle in which we live in, and B, they proclaimed the truth that we can rest in. So they say this, 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. And 15, Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I really struggle to say the word triumphing without sounding weird. Anyways, when Paul is imploring us to be strengthened in the faith we taught, he's not only encouraging us um, in action to continue to learn and to know God's word and to be in his presence, but he's also issuing a warning sign to us that we may we have to take heed um, of in order to continue on in this race to continue strengthen to continue on for the long haul 
And part of this warning is this in verse 10, uh, John, sorry, in chapter, <laughs> in chapter John, in book of John, chapter 10, verse 10, it says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And in first Peter, it says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And right throughout scripture, we see that. We see the enemy sneaking around, like a little sneaky thing. And uh, I'll laugh at him because he should be laughed at. Anyway, so he's like sneaking around, he's hiding in plain sight. But Paul is making very clear to us that we have to be on our guard. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. See to it. These words are really important because it's an action that we have to put into practice. We have to be alert. We have to be on guard. We have to have our spiritual eyes and ears open. Because the enemy will try and strike when we're having great days and when we're having bad days. But we have a responsibility to keep watch. And he then goes on to say that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy that depends on anything other than on Christ. Here, Paul is highlighting that Jesus is and has to be enough for us in order to live in the fullness of life that he has given us. Now, the original word that Paul uses for captive is the same word that he would use, that would be used for those in the slave trade. So it's... um, basically being taken out of your home and put into the slave trade. It's a really strong word, and it's a really powerful word. And I believe that it highlights the ramifications of what we face if we don't, um, when we don't let the truth of what God has done for us sink into our lives. And when we let other things try and take over our hearts and our minds. See, I think we live in a world, don't we, where there's lots of <laughs> different truths. You've all got, you know, people will say, you've got your truth and I've got my truth. But the reality is we have one truth. As Christians, we have one truth, and that is Jesus, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and only through me does anyone come to the Father. Jesus is completely enough for us. And I really felt as I was preparing this talk, and boy, was there a bit of attacking and around this talk preparation. I really feel that Jesus this morning wants to declare afresh his authority in our lives again. See, we're surrounded by a society that tells us um, that we're selling things to us is the norm. We're sold perceived truths, things that are wrapped up in kind of half-truths, but actually don't contain a lot of substance. We're sold those day after day. And although they may not be the same as the philosophy that the Colossians were kind of coming under attack with, it's a, it's a philosophy that we're coming under attack with. And we're told um, often we'll only be happy, we'll only be full, we'll only be accepted if maybe we lose that extra little bit of weight. Or if we buy all of that stuff that needs to go in that new wardrobe. Or if we get all of those things for the house. Or if we get the latest gadget, or we redesign ourselves, or we have multiple romantic relationships, or we work all the hours that God has given us in order to be perceived as perfect uh, perfect, and to be perceived as worthy and valuable. We're sold these day after day after day. 
and we consume like pithy little statements um, that we see on social media. We have like memes which have got all these half truths that we, we lap up and we take into our lives, sometimes unintentionally. You know, things that say, oh, you deserve it, so go max out your card. Or you deserve to be treated better, so don't forgive that person, they're not worth it. Or you just be yourself, like don't change, like who cares what anyone thinks? And often these things aren't inherently bad, but wrapped up in the perceived truth that we need them, that we deserve them, and that only when we have them are we complete and we can live fully. Are they getting in the way of being strengthened and established in God's word and being fully alive in Jesus? And unfortunately, they can be the things that we believe. They can be the things that become our identity, that become our purpose, that become what we function for. And when we face some of the things that try and take us out, that try to become our fullness, that try to rob, that try to kill, that try to destroy, we have to remember that God has already won the victory through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. That everything that would seek to rule the fullness in our lives has no power in the name of Jesus. We see that in verse 15. And so when we keep our minds close um, to the scripture, when we ask questions when we don't understand, the more and more we become strengthened and established in our walk with him. We have to learn God's truths. We have to establish ourselves in his living word. It's not just pages of words that form some sort of real book. It's living, it's breathing, it's life-giving And that when we receive it over and over again, it strengthens us in the richness of God's truth and his promises. And I know that because I've seen that in my life. I've seen that where the enemy has tried to to destroy and tried to rob me of stuff that is not his. That when I get into the word, when I build myself into the word, when I root myself into the word... That is when I become strengthened. That is when I become established. And that is when I see the enemy has no power in my life. And I see that in others as well. And this is really important stuff. And sometimes we look past this as like, oh yeah, of course. I need to remember that at some point. But this is stuff that is going to keep us on this race for the long haul. And so let me ask again this morning for each of us here. What are the lies and what are the false identities that we have taken on? either intentionally or unintentionally? And what areas do we need to invite the sovereign king to rule in our lives again? Where have we believed stuff that is stopping us from walking our journey with Jesus? And so this morning we learn that in order to do this for the long run, we need to be rooted in him, we need to be built up in him and through others, and we need to be strengthened and established in him. So why don't we stand?